Well, for the past several weeks, we've been looking at how to put on the armor of God so that we can prepare for the battle that the Apostle Paul warns about in his letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 16, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So far... We've learned how to buckle the belt of truth firmly around our waist. We've learned how to attach the breastplate of righteousness to the belt. We should be ready to advance the gospel of Christ by strapping on our shoes. Last week, we learned about the shield of faith and learned that it isn't really the faith that protects us. It's what our faith is in. We have faith in the one who can protect us. God is our protection. But when we put our faith in him and hold him in front of us, He brings all the protection that we need. We trust God to win the battle for us, and we keep him in front of us. Today, we're looking at the helmet of salvation. We're all familiar with the helmet of what it does. A helmet protects the head from injury. Protecting what is in the head is very important because every function of the body is controlled by the head. Do any of you remember the movies that used to be, they used to show in school health classes where the little cartoon man sat in a control room up in our brain and sent messages back and forth to other parts of the body? How many remember those? Did they show those in your school? I loved those little movies. I've, I've looked on YouTube trying to find them. In fact, I would have showed it this morning if I could have found it. I don't know where to get one of those. They were great movies. There was one where this little man sitting, sitting up there in the control room was getting messages from another little man that sat at the tip of the finger. Remember that one? Little man, they're sitting in the, in, in the nerve center in the finger, and the finger had just touched something really, really hot. So the little man in the finger sent a message up to the guy in the control center, said, I sent something hot. And the man in the control center immediately sent a message back, said, remove finger. And so the man hit a lever and finger came back to protect it from being hot. It was showing how the body works. But everything is controlled by this up here. Messages from other parts of the body. It's not really little men in there doing that. Just wanted to say it straight on that in case any of you were confused. (laughs) But that is kind of how it works. Other parts of the body send messages up here, and this sends messages back and says, okay, based on the information you're sending me, this is what you need to do. Our bodies cannot function without getting their signals from what's up here inside The cranium. I think that's the right word, right, cranium? If the brain ceases to function properly, we lose control over other parts of our body. Depending on how badly the brain is damaged, it can affect just parts of our body or it completely shut the whole body down. Because even our heart, our lungs, and our other vital organs get their messages from the brain. The brain tells the heart to beat. It tells the liver when to produce whatever it needs to produce to to help uh, get rid of the waste in our bodies. 
everything gets its messages from the brain. If someone has a bad fall or in some other way gets a severe blow to the head, it's serious business. That's why they require football players to wear helmets because they're constantly hitting something, falling. They're going to wear a helmet. In fact, if you look at the history of helmets over time, the helmets have gotten more sophisticated because every time somebody has a head injury that's based on, on, on something they did in football, they reanalyze the whole thing. How could we have prevented that? How could we have made a better helmet to keep that from happening next time? So helmets have evolved over the years. Now in most states, it's required to wear a bicycle helmet when you ride a bike. How many remember riding bikes without helmets? I remember doing stupid things and falling off the bikes without helmets. You know, we lived through it, but enough people had serious injuries for that. They now require a helmet to protect the head. Most states require a helmet to ride a motorcycle. I think all states should require a helmet to ride a motorcycle. But some aren't smart, I guess. Um, Even if you don't have a law that says you should wear a helmet, you should be smart and wear a helmet if you ride a motorcycle. I'll bet 20 years from now, they're going to decide seatbelts aren't enough, and they're going to start requiring helmets to drive a car because, you know, you could still bounce off the windshield or something. Helmets protect the head. Without that head protection, we risk injury that will affect our whole body if we hit something or something falls on our heads. They have hard hats, which are kind of like helmets for people working in construction to help prevent things from landing on their head. Or if you're working in a mine, you have helmets you wear to keep the rocks from falling on you. (coughs) Too many people have died or lost control of parts of their bodies because of an extreme blow to the head. We've all seen pictures of what the Roman helmet looked like. Again, we've got our soldier up here. That's not the armor we're talking about. That's not the kind of helmet that that they had. But we all know in our minds what the Roman helmet looked like. The Greek word that was used for helmet was actually a very descriptive word. And I've talked about this many times before. The Greek language was a descriptive language. Every word had a word picture that went with it. So when you heard a word, and and they usually had more than one word. So like we have one word, love. The Romans would have four words for that. Agape and phileo. And they had four things to describe the one thing. And each one had his own word picture. So when somebody said something, you knew exactly what they were saying. Well, the word picture for the Greek word that's interpreted helmet here, when the Greek said helmet, it gives a picture of something completely wrapping around the head. You know, because we think about helmets, a bicycle helmet, it just kind of sits on the top. You know, a motorcycle helmet, some of them just sit on top, some wrap the head, a football helmet wraps the head. Well, you knew exactly what they were talking about because the word picture was something completely surrounding the head. Now, this one up here does completely surround the head. The Roman helmet was similar, except it didn't completely cover the face. However, it did cover the whole head. It had brass pieces that came down to cover the ears, had a chin strap to hold it on, and it had a bib coming down the back to protect the neck. It protected the head and the stem of the brain because they didn't want anything striking them that would cause damage to the brain because without the brain, the rest of the body would become useless and they wouldn't be able to stay in the fight. The reason it's important for us as believers to wear our spiritual helmet is because if the devil can get access to our brains, he can totally shut us down spiritually. As I've already mentioned, the brain essentially controls everything that we do. There are many things that the brain does behind the scenes that we don't even realize are happening. But everything we do is in some way attached to our brain. (coughs) Excuse me. However, when we talk about the brain, we're usually referring to our thoughts. 
The devil knows that if he can somehow take over our thought process, he can control us. If we're not wearing our spiritual helmet, we leave this one important part of our body vulnerable and risk losing everything else. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul talks about being aware of Satan's schemes so that he won't outwit us. I didn't put that one on your thing there if you're looking for it back there. It t- talks about the, being aware of his schemes so that he won't outwit us. Or one translation says, so he won't outsmart us. How many of you want to be outsmarted by the devil? We need to be aware of what he's doing so that he doesn't outsmart us. If Satan can get into our mind, he'll begin to play mind games with us. He'll cause doubt. He'll cause confusion. He'll twist the truth to make us walk away from God's perfect will and to get us to settle for something that will destroy us and render us powerless in the spiritual realm. Now let me stop here for just a moment and talk about salvation because Paul calls our helmet the helmet of salvation. When we hear the word salvation, we normally think of a one-time experience. In fact, people ask me sometimes, when were you saved? Can you tell us the date when you were saved? We think it's a one-time experience. It's the day I accepted Christ. But there are actually three aspects to salvation. Salvation is not a one-time thing. Salvation is past, present, and future. And that's what Paul's talking about when he talks to the helmet of salvation. He's not talking about just that one time. He's talking about our salvation today and our future salvation. Past, we call justification. That's another word for it. It's freedom from the penalty of sin. That's when we accept Christ. We accept his sacrifice. At that time, we are justified. Some of you guys probably heard it described. What does justification mean? It means just as if. Just if. Just as if I had never sinned. When we accept Christ, our sins are forgotten. They're forgiven. We are justified. We are saved from the results of previous sins. However, salvation is also because I've had that one-time experience. Now I am going to work on my salvation. I am going to work hard to make sure that I don't commit sins today. Now, there is forgiveness for those sins too, but we don't say, well, I'm saved. I'm just, I, I don't have to worry about it. Because I'm saved, I want to continue to be saved. So we call that sanctification. Sanctification is becoming like Christ, learning his commands, learning how to obey his word. It's the past act of salvation, but the current work of salvation in helping me be formed in the image of Christ, helping me each day to become more like Christ. That's my current salvation. And then there's the future salvation, which we talk glorification. That's when we are totally saved. We have been through the initial. We have been through the working out our salvation. And now we are with Christ. There is no more sin. We don't even have to worry about it anymore. We have our full salvation when we are with Christ. (coughs) The initial aspect of salvation happened in the past. It's what we usually refer to as the salvation experience. The aspect of salvation that takes place when we accept Christ. Then we have the sanctification. There are several passages in the Bible that talk about the ongoing process of sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed. That's an action word. It's happening. It's an ongoing thing. (coughs) Can somebody go grab me a water, please? Thank you. <coughs> oh, there's one right there. I guess I can have your germs. 
we with, with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's Lord are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So it's not a, I was saved, I'm saved forever. It's continue to work out, continue to work on it. It's a present day. I am working on my salvation. Not that we're saved by works, (coughs) but because we're saved, We're going to work on learning how we need to live. 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that it may grow you up in your salvation. When we first come to Christ, we are saved, but we're baby saved. We want to be adult saved. We want to grow. We don't want to stay there. We want to mature. It says growing up or maturing in our salvation. It's an ongoing experience. Salvation is something that starts on the day we accept Christ. Starts out small like a newborn baby. We need to nurture that salvation experience and allow it to grow to maturity. We're saved, but we're continually being saved. As we daily acknowledge Christ as Savior and learn how to more completely follow his commands. Most of this maturing that it's talking about takes place in our minds. Romans 12.2, Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's part of the ongoing salvation experience. I'm going to allow God to change my mind, to change my stinking thinking, as I like to call it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, once your mind is completely renewed, by the way, is there anybody in this room your mind has been completely renewed? You have no more renewing that needs to take place? If so, I want to talk to you. When our mind is completely renewed, which will never happen, there's always something that needs to be changed, always something new we need to learn. That's why one of our goals here at the church is to continue to be growing. That's one of the ways we do our mission, is by growing, by learning more, by not saying, been there, done that, I know it all. We all have something to learn. Be transformed by renewing your mind, and when your mind is completely renewed, which none of us have arrived at yet, (coughs) then we will be able to fully test And approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Is there anyone in this room who always knows what God's perfect will is? You never make mistakes because you always know exactly what he's saying. If not, then you need to be working on that continual salvation process of being renewed. Learning more about Christ. Learning more about what he says in his word. The third aspect of salvation is what happens in the future. It's when our salvation is complete. We've already talked about that a little bit. Our salvation will not be complete until the day we arrive at our final destination in heaven. Paul talks about that in Romans 13 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Romans 13, 11. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. Notice Paul says, our salvation is near. I thought I was already saved. I asked Jesus in my heart on this day. I thought I was already saved. 
He says it's not complete yet. Yes, you were saved, but you don't have the complete salvation now. It's closer than it was on that day, but you need to continually working on it because you're getting close. Keep working on it. You haven't fully attained it yet. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5.8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Once again, Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, but this time he says the hope of salvation as a helmet. So we have a hope that we will one day make it to maturity, that we will one day be complete in Christ. We will get that final. Paul talks another place about being worried that even he may be disqualified in the end. He says, I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep working at it because I'm worried that I may step away from it. I got to keep my eyes on the goal. I can't give up because I haven't fully attained it yet. I'm going to keep working for that. So the hope of our salvation. Since we're saved, we need to wear the helmet of salvation to protect our minds. The helmet keeps our minds from being contaminated by thoughts that the enemy would like to plant to take our minds off of God and his perfect will. As we continually wear our helmet and keep our thoughts on God, we become more and more like God until the day we finally receive the completeness, the fullness of our salvation. When we arrive at our eternal destination, at that time we will be free from all the effects of sin. We will be free from all temptation. We won't have to worry about it anymore. We have the completeness. Until then, we need to wear the helmet to prevent our minds from getting Abuse, getting damaged by the lies of the enemy. There are two basic methods the enemy uses to get into your mind. The first is through logic, also known as human reasoning. He gets you to question something that God has said and to rationalize it through human understanding. This is what Satan did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. You can look it up for yourself in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to put it on the screen. But essentially what happened is this. The devil came to Eve and got her to question a command that God had given based on human experience and knowledge. I want to give you the paraphrased version from the Jerry Galbraith paraphrased Bible. I want to give you the paraphrased version of what happened in the garden, how the devil used human logic to get into Eve's mind and get her to sin. And I need somebody to come up here and be Eve for me. I'm going to play the devil. I need somebody to play Eve. Any volunteers to play Eve? Okay, Larissa, come on up here. I have a few lines for you, okay? Just a few lines. You'll just read them right off of here when we get to your parts, okay? I just wrote this little script here, okay? So, so you stand right next to me here, and you're going to say the parts that are Eve, okay? okay? So this is the devil standing over Eve's shoulder, standing conversation, actually hanging from a tree. He was disguised as a serpent. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, he said that we could eat from, from the tree we wanted except for this one. He said it that if we ate from this tree or even touched it, we would die. Think about that for a moment. Does that make any sense to you? You've already tasted all of the other fruits and seen how tasty they are. None of them killed you. Look at the fruit on this tree. Look how delicious it looks. Doesn't it look better than all the other fruit you've tasted? 
How could fruit kill you? Now, you either misunderstood what God told you, or God must not have told you the whole truth. There must be some other reason that God doesn't want you to eat this fruit. Hey, I have an idea. Maybe the reason God doesn't want you to eat this fruit is because he's protecting himself. What, what was it he called this tree again? He called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hmm. Very interesting. The tree of knowledge. Have you ever noticed how smart God is? Yeah. Does it seem like God is smarter than you are? Yeah. I just wonder if that might have something to do with this fruit. Is it possible that maybe God is smarter than you because he eats this fruit and you don't? Is it possible that the reason God told you not to eat it is because he wants to control you? Maybe if you ate this fruit, you wouldn't have to bother God with so many questions. You'd already have the answers because you'd be as smart as he is. You'd no longer have to ask him whether or not it's okay to do something because you'd already know. You'd have all the knowledge of God, all the knowledge of good and evil, just like God does. Nah, I don't really think this fruit would kill you. It'll actually make you better. Why are you depriving yourself of what's probably the best fruit you've ever tasted? Especially when it has the potential to make you more like God. Let's give Larissa a hand. The devil comes in and he uses human logic. He doesn't deny that God said something, but he says, certainly God didn't really mean that. I mean, if you were God, would you say that? Yeah, I don't think he really meant that. There's got to be something else that it means. Let's think about what could God really be saying? Because, you know, God, God really wants you to have a good life, doesn't he? Man, he doesn't want to be a killjoy. I mean, why would he take something good away from you? There's got to be some good reason to it. He gets us to question based on our own experiences, based on our own, based on our own logic. So we begin to question what God said based on human understanding. So in Genesis 3, 6, we read this. After that little conversation with the devil, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Satan defeated Eve with human logic. Human logic will keep us from having the best that God intends for us. Let's face it. There are some things that God knows that we'll never know until we get there. Our human minds are no match for the mind of God. There are some things that no matter how much knowledge we gain, we'll never comprehend because we are human. He's God, and we're not. He's all-knowing, and we're not. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We can't understand God, so why try? Why not just admit that he's smarter than we are? So we're going to listen to him. Kids, that's also good advice. 
why not just admit your parents are smarter than you are? They've made some of the mistakes. They're not just trying to be killjoys. They're trying to protect you from things that they've had to learn the hard way. You can make the mistakes on your own, but if you would just realize mom and dad, they're not so dumb after all. You'd save yourselves a lot of heartache. When I was younger, there was a popular saying that was found on posters, bumper stickers, etc. Some of you may have heard this. It simply said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. If God said it, I'm not going to argue about it. I'm not going to try to explain it away. God says it, I'm just going to believe it. I'm just going to obey it. That's, that's it. That's all there is to it. If we could simply learn to take the word of God at face value and stop trying to evaluate everything according to human reasoning, we don't have to understand why God said something. All we need to remember is that he said it, and he must have a good reason for it. Building a boat in the middle of the desert didn't make sense according to human logic. But Noah trusted God and did what God commanded. God said, Noah, build this bark. It's going to rain. And if you've seen the Bill Cosby version, oh yeah, what's rain? Nobody knew. It had never rained. God says, water's going to fall from the sky. Now, if you've never seen water fall from the sky, how much sense does that make to human reasoning? But Noah said, God said it. I believe it. That's enough for me. I'm just going to do it. So he built an ark. Took him 150 years to build this boat in the middle of the desert. Not even a lake to put it on and no trailer big enough to pull it to the lake if there was a lake. All his neighbors told him how unlogical it was. Noah, have you lost your marbles? Have you lost your mind? We need to lock you up somewhere. You're not being logical. Does this make sense? And Noah said, it doesn't have to make sense to me. God said it, I believe it. I'm simply going to follow God's instructions. He ignored the logical arguments that his neighbors hurled at him every day. He ignored the names that people called him because they said he was a lunatic. Each day he made sure that his helmet was securely fastened and he would only allow God's voice to get through that helmet and into his mind. The second method the enemy uses to get into our minds is doubt or fear. He does this by getting us to focus on our situations or our circumstances instead of on God. Often it isn't even the fear of something that we're actually facing at the moment. It's fear of something that could happen to us because it's happened to somebody else. Oh, that happened to them. Maybe it'll happen to me. I need to worry about this. This life will not be problem-free. Remember, Paul in this passage that we're discussing is talking about war. War's not easy. Jesus said it like this in John 16, In this world, you will have trouble. It is coming. You will have trouble. <coughs> he says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. The devil will try to get us to focus on the problem. He wants us to worry. He wants us to become fearful. 2 Timothy verse, or chapter 1, verse 7 in the New Living Translation says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Listen to how the Amplified Bible puts this. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice, or fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love. 
and a sound judgment and a personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Regardless of what's happening out there, regardless of what could possibly happen out there, I'm not going to worry about it. It goes back to our shield of faith. I'm simply going to trust God. I'm going to take him at his word that he's already won this. I'm not going to let those worries, those doubts, I'm not going to allow depression to come and settle into me. I'm keeping those things out. I'm going to keep my helmet on my head and only focus on the things of God, the promises of God. That's why we need the helmet because the enemy will put those doubts in there. When we're wearing our spiritual helmet, we don't have to worry about what we may see with our eyes. Because we know that what we see with our eyes is only part of the picture. Instead, we focus on on what we know God is doing behind the scenes, even though we can't see him doing it. We know that he's at work, and so we focus on what he's doing behind the scenes. We don't see it yet, but we know the victory has already been given. God is fighting for us. So we simply wait for the salvation that we know is already on its way. The helmet of salvation protects our minds from the lies of the enemy. Lies that say, (coughs) you're worthless. You won't make it. You can't get through this. This is going to be the end of you. You might as well give up. You've tried before and you couldn't do it. You know what? That is the one thing the devil says that's true. You've tried. You couldn't do it. You know what? You can't do it. But aren't you glad the battle's not yours? You don't have to do it. You simply sit back and say, God, I don't know how to do this. But I know that you do. I simply put my shield out there. I trust in you. You are my victory. You are my protection. You are my salvation. The helmet protects our mind. When we're wearing the helmet of salvation, we don't worry about the battle. Because we know the battle belongs to God. The helmet of salvation allows us to worship God, even in the heat of the battle. Because our salvation doesn't depend on what we do. It depends on what God does through us. Exodus chapter 15, 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. First Chronicles 16.23 says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Psalms 13.5, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Psalms 35, 9. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. Psalms 96, 2. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. I could go on and on and on. Over and over and over in the scripture, there are scriptures promising his salvation. And most of the time, that's what we're living in, is our future salvation. I'm going through something right now. But salvation is coming. 
I'm going to trust in him. The, what I'm doing now, the salvation that comes now, is by me keeping the helmet on, not let, letting the enemy get through with those lies, and trusting that if I just keep following his commands, even the ones I don't understand, the ones that don't make sense to me, all I got to do is follow this book. Even though it sounds like it may not be accomplishing anything, even though I might feel like it's not accomplishing anything, I'm just sim- simply going to follow, follow the instructions. Because if I follow the instructions, my day of salvation is coming. He will bring the victory. Worship team is going to make their way back to the platform. If you've accepted Christ, you already have the helmet of salvation. You were given the helmet on the day that you said yes to Jesus. But Paul instructs us to not leave us sitting behind. Notice he said, take the helmet of salvation. You already have it. But what you do with it is up to you. Don't leave your helmet sitting on a shelf someplace. The helmet doesn't protect us unless we wear it daily and allow it to keep out the thoughts of the enemy. We have to stand firmly on the word of God and not allow the enemy to twist what God has said through human logic. We also have to remember that our salvation comes from God. It's nothing that I can do on my own. It's not even my works of righteousness. I can't do it on my own. Salvation comes from God. We put our full trust and confidence in Him. We don't need to be afraid. No matter what circumstances we're facing, no matter what report we just got from the doctor, no matter what our boss just told us about our job, our future employment, I'm not going to worry about it because God's got this. God knew it was going to happen before it ever happened. God has allowed it to happen, and God has already provided the answer to what I'm walking through. I put my full trust and confidence in Him. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to let the devil discourage me because I'm wearing my helmet of salvation, and I'm thinking about the good things promises of God.